Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas here on Premier Christian Radio, coming to you from Colorado, where we've had another crazy week of wildfires. 99 degrees in old money on Monday, snow on Tuesday, which was so helpful, but then terrible fires in Oregon and California. Please join me in praying that these will be stopped, that firefighters will be helped and perhaps that the rains will come. And it's been a strange week in the UK, hasn't it? In the strangest of years, the kids are back at school. We're back in groups of six. We're being told to report our neighbours. If someone is sitting in the garden with more than six people, there's a £100 fine if you disobey, going up to 3200 And then, of course, there's Brexit. I thought I wouldn't have to use that word for quite a while. And in the midst of all of the mess, we can wonder, where is God? Is he concerned? And even, is he really there? This week on Lucas on Life, we're thinking about doubt. When I first became a Christian, I thought that ministers never had to wrestle with doubt. They all seemed so shiny, so holy, and so very certain. I didn't realise that their vocational choice didn't guarantee them a doubt-free existence, which can make life difficult for a minister. It's rather hard to fulfil one's duties as a minister of the gospel while wondering if what we boldly proclaim as truth is actually true at all. Sorry, parochial church council, but I'm going through an atheistic phase. Any chance of a couple of weeks off? Doubt is a mosquito that I can never quite kill. And if past performance is anything to go by, I will never successfully swat it this side of the New Jerusalem. Most of the time, doubt rumbles rather than roars. The vaguest trembling of the ground that I stand on, distant irritating, troubling even, but not turbulent enough to create an earthquake that Richter would be interested in. I don't lose my faith, I just mislay it occasionally. But every now and again I have a full-on faith attack, which is more like a tsunami than an earthquake. Faith attacks strike without warning and are triggered by random happenings. Mark Littleton has said that doubt can hang its hat on all Christians, No one can honestly say they've escaped it. Sometimes it's the superstitious statements that Christians come up with that make Christianity suddenly seem quite implausible. And for a moment, the whole faith construct seems as rickety as a coffee table made by a fifth former in the woodwork class. You can't outgive God, they say. Really? Then why not give every penny you possess and become utterly destitute, at least temporarily, if that's really true? God is in control, they say. No, he's not. At least not in the sense that everything that happens is because he wants it to. 
If that's not the case, then why do we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, if in a bizarre case, sarah, sarah kind of way, everything that happens is because God wills it. Things have gone wrong, so you must be doing something right. Is often trotted out by those who have an excessive view of spiritual warfare that may mean that Satan is in fact camping in my bathroom, a roaring lion crouched in the facilities. I'm healed says the person who, sadly, very obviously isn't, but they say it because they think they're letting the side down if they don't. And before you write in, I totally believe that God still heals today. It just doesn't happen as much as we'd like, or perhaps as much as we suggest. Or it can be a brush with death, which I had with the passing of a very close relative who was one of the best parts of my growing up. When I heard of her death, the Easter message of resurrection seemed rather empty, and I didn't feel comforted, but instead felt that I was desperately trying to be hopeful, but it wasn't working. The possibility of there being another place somewhere else in the universe that she had travelled to, it all seemed about as likely as the Easter bunny being a real-life carrot eater or Santa breaking speed records with his sleigh, just wishful thinking. My faith was not rammed by a weighty locomotive filled with brilliant new atheist arguments, but shattered by the very hint of a satanic snigger. Surely doubting that God exists or fearing that he's abandoned us if he does is a fundamental part of the human condition. If I had choreographed the Calvary event, I wouldn't have had Jesus yelling, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, as one of his last statements, even though prophecy was being fulfilled. That didn't sound too good, did it, seeing as Jesus had announced that he and his father were one. Very bad as a parting shot, I'd say. I wonder what those who heard him say it made of it without a team of forensic biblical commentators standing by to explain it all in three points of alliterated sermonic clarity. Perhaps Jesus was fully identifying with us in our lostness, bewilderment and the feeling that heaven is ignoring us at times. On the cross, not only was he challenging the power of death, but identifying with us in the experience of hopeless desolate life. Three days later, he rose to let us know once and for all that we are not abandoned or left destitute and that death itself is rendered incapable of separating us from love. It was Os Guinness who said that doubt is not primarily a Christian problem, but a human problem. The root of doubt is not in our faith, but in our humanness. One day, we will see Jesus face to face, and thank God, doubt will be banished then. In the meantime, we don't enjoy that clear view, so if we occasionally doubt, it's just an indicator that we're not actually dead yet. Doubt is just part of the normal Christian journey, an unwelcome companion, but one that we need not fear. Surely, the most famous doubter in history is Thomas, often known, I think unfairly, as Doubting Thomas. After some music, we're going to think about how doubt affected that man. Thomas, famous for doubting, really struggled to accept that Jesus was risen. Was he guilty of unbelief? I can remember going to the city of Chorazin in Israel, now a completely desolate and ruined city, a place where Jesus proclaimed judgment because of their unbelief. So is doubt the same as that? I would suggest not. 
When Thomas doubted, Jesus said, Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You see, faith can be a struggle. As I've said, doubt is normal. And doubt, as Karl Barth has said, does not mean denial or negation of our faith. It means swaying or staggering between yes and no. It's only an uncertainty. So what's the difference? Well, unbelief is when people willingly set themselves up against a biblical truth, choosing not to believe in the face of overwhelming evidence. And so in that city of Chorazim, they'd seen Jesus perform incredible, miraculous signs, but they chose to not believe in him. Elmer Town said, doubt is not unbelief. Unbelief is rebellion against evidence that we cannot or will not accept. Doubt is stumbling over a stone that we do not understand. Unbelief is kicking at a stone that we understand all too well. And then doubt can be useful and productive because it can spur us to sift our faith and find truth. When Thomas was mugged by doubt, he said, I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. You see, Thomas wanted to believe in what was true. We're not called to embrace an unthinking faith where we just accept a package of beliefs that are handed to us. That's why questions can be powerful. They can sort out the dross from the gold, the error from the truth. It's been said that doubts are ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. And then faith is not a leap in the dark. But let's know that absolute, solid, continuous certainty is unlikely in this life. Jesus is real, but he is currently invisible. And sometimes whatever we've experienced of him, doubt can come and try and steal it away from us. This also happens when we measure faith by our feelings. Years ago, my friend Adrian Plass said to me, Jeff, your emotions are not the barometer of your spirituality. And when Thomas was mugged by doubt, Jesus effectively told him to stop it. Don't be faithless any longer, he said. Believe. You see, we don't have to feel faith. And there are times when we just don't feel anything. We just choose to trust. We don't allow our moods to dictate to faith, but we allow our faith to speak to our feelings. Os Guinness said, unless we do this, our emotions will lead us around by the nose and will be captive to every passing impulse or reaction. But once faith is trained to control the emotions and knows how to lean resolutely against weaknesses of character, another entryway of doubt is blocked and sealed and shut. The truth is this, doubt, let me say it again, is normal, but the world was changed by doubters. In Matthew 28, when the disciples gathered to be sent out by Jesus, we read that some doubted, but these were the ones who turned the world upside down with the good news of Jesus. And it was Thomas who declared, my Lord and my God. He is the first person in the book of John to look at Jesus of Nazareth and address the word God directly to him. Nobody had previously addressed Jesus like this. Here's the reality. 
the wonderful reality that the greatest doubter of the resurrection of Jesus uttered the greatest confession of the lordship of Jesus who rose from the dead, my Lord and my God. And Thomas followed through. He died a martyr. Let me leave the final words in tonight's show to John Ortberg, who says this. Disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and worship and they doubt and serve and they doubt and help each other with their doubts. They doubt and practice faithfulness. They doubt and they wait for their doubt to one day to be turned into knowing. Think about this. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. That kind of absolute self-satisfaction, I've got it sorted. But faith, in my book, is the confidence to take the next step. Not certainty, not knowing where it's going, not being absolutely sure, but having enough confidence to say, I'm not giving up. I trust Jesus, you're my Lord, my God. We've been talking tonight about a subject that Christians can be hesitant to discuss because they feel like they're letting the side down. Doubt. You can feel like it's rather like admitting that you've got an embarrassing rash for which there's no cream. And all of those grinning believers around you are all so fixed in their faith and you are struggling. Here's what I've discovered. Whatever we've experienced of God, his power, his intervention, answers to prayer, that doesn't render us incapable of doubt. I can remember one difficult day when I drove my car off the side of a cliff. I was gone, the car was gone, but with a screaming prayer, I discovered that God lifted the car up and pushed it back onto the road. In fact, a motorist coming from the opposite direction was so stunned by what she saw that she stopped to ask what on earth had happened. It was remarkable. It was stunning. But that doesn't render me incapable of saying, was it just a coincidence? Did I just hit a a bump in the road? Did it even really happen? My point is this, whatever we've seen of the hand of God doesn't exempt us from the possibility of the struggle. You're human, so am I. Let's keep pressing forward in our pursuit of Jesus because this we declare, whatever we feel in our struggles, Jesus, you are with me, you care, and that's never going to change. See you next time. Lucas on Life. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.